You're listening to the She Lift Project podcast, a show dedicated to helping women achieve higher levels of success in the workplace. No matter where you are in your career, we want to help you grow. Now here's your host, Cynthia Kirkpatrick, a CPA, CFP, and Senior Financial Advisor at Mineta Group. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the She Lift Project podcast. I'm Cynthia Kirkpatrick, and happy to have everybody with us here today, especially happy to share Carrie Burgraff with you today. Hi, Carrie. Hey, how are you? Thanks for Great. having me. Thanks for coming in. And uh, I'll have you fill in a lot of your history, too, because there's you've done so many things. But high level, you were, let's see, physician's assistant, geriatric side of things, raised three adult boys now, mm-hmm. um, any amount of kids, but raising kids were maybe one of the most important jobs out there, but also switched to then sales, healthcare, assisting families, and now coaching sales, successful in all of those areas, on top of a lot of different awards that have and are coming your way, which by the time this airs, you'll already be uh, having all those ceremonies for it. 100 top 100 in st louis we were talking about some other things that you were doing and just knowing you in the different avenues that i know you everyone knows you hey it's carrie hey oh you know carrie too of course we all know carrie Mm. so it was exciting you've been on my list to have invite and and join us for so long because because of who you are oh gosh that's awfully nice i appreciate that thanks well and and i like just trying to be you cynthia (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, Well, one day when I grow up, I'll be just like you, if that ever happens. But funny enough, how we met was really through my husband, Mm -hmm. who heard you speaking about, it was really about financial health and all the different ways to be financially healthy, which you were coming in to talk about physical health and to say that if you're going to be financially healthy, you really need to focus on physical health, which is where that, you know, physician's assistant, the sales, home care sales came into play. So he said, you know what? He was videotaping that. You got My wife needs to meet you. Her clients might need your help. And we met right before COVID, mm-hmm. like one of the last lunch possibilities before COVID. And then we just kind of struck up both a business and a friendship, me, you, my husband too. And getting to see you around the club in different places, everyone knows Carrie, Carrie Burgraff. Well, it's because people like you introduced me, so I appreciate it. You're a well, great we learn, connector. We learn from the best. And I'll say, you know, it's just your aura, right? Like you say hi to everybody. You're always willing to help. And that's a lot of what I'm sure we'll get into today. But you're looking for ways to help people. You always have a smile. You're curious. So you're always asking questions, which puts the other person uh, kind of in the spotlight, which so far I haven't really done well with you yet. So we're going to get into that. <laughs> um Anything else to fill in on that history that I missed? Gosh, I don't know. Um, Wow, that's a lot. You make me sound a lot better. I hope I like live up to all that. uh, Something to strive for. Um, I would say probably some of the one of the places that was really remarkable for me and taught me so much, but was part of that whole journey was. I was thinking about when you were talking about being a PA and raising kids, and there was a point during that time where 
I was working full-time for a physician. I was on call 24-7. I had 110 patients in eight nursing homes and assisted livings, and I was getting my master's degree at the same time, and my husband traveled. And I remember wrapping Christmas presents at 3 in the morning and finishing, like, my homework was done when I'd wake up and my face was on the book, and, like, it was 1 o'clock in the morning. It was remarkable, and you just never even know what you can do until you just decide... I'm going to do this. And there were definitely points in the middle of it where I thought, man, I'm not sure this is worth it. And I know my family definitely had their moments where they were probably like, this isn't worth it. When I remember forgetting to pick up my son's birthday dinner on the way home from work before confirmation um, lessons or whatever. So yes, it, it isn't always pretty. I think that the hardest thing when you're a mom and when you're trying to accomplish certain things is feeling like you ever did it well, mm-hmm. feeling like you didn't let someone down. It always felt like somehow I was laying someone down. I'd look at the dog and be like, oh, gosh, I'm sorry. You're at the lowest end of the totem pole. Just not enough. But anyway, I think that's probably when you were talking about the working and the um, kid part, that was something that popped into my head as part of the journey. When you think back to that now, you mentioned, I think, a lot of us have gone through maybe not the same thing, but something similar. I certainly did studying for different exams when I had pregnant with the third. What sticks out in your mind thinking back to that? Was it a certain time where you woke up with your face in the book? <laughs> Was it a certain event with the kids and the husband? Is it now to say, you know, it was all worth it? What sticks out in your mind? Is there a certain story? I would say that one of the overall themes that I've noticed in my life that makes me think of this is that when I wasn't working and I was home with my kids, I felt a little bit like I wasn't living up to what I should do because I wasn't working. And I remember my mom saying, you know, you you should have a job, you should be having money of your own and have a career that like things change all the time. And, and then when I was working, I felt so guilty when I was working full time because I felt like I wasn't doing the mom thing very well. And it always felt like I was digging this uniform out of the laundry and washing it by hand and throwing it in the dryer at the last minute and having to have one of the kids wear his brother's uniform or whatever because it was just what you could do and feeling like I was failing as a mom. And that I don't know that you ever find a place to find the right balance. And I think the thing I had to figure out was what were the top three things that were so incredibly important. And one of the decisions I made when I was getting my master's, I remember going to one of my kids' soccer games. And I remember the question someone asked me was, well, don't you have, shouldn't you be studying? And I said, you know what, I have always been someone who tried to have straight A's. And if I get a B, this time, because I was at my kid's soccer game, then you know what? That's okay with me. And like, I think so much of it is giving yourself permission to decide how this ranks at any given moment. And it doesn't have to be the overall theme, right? It doesn't have to be my family's always first or my work's always first. But in this moment, when I think about what's most important to me, I get to decide right now. And that gets to be my priority at the moment. And then in another moment, it may weigh out differently. Like the school play can't happen again. But maybe something else is, you know, seeing a practice isn't something that you have to be part of. And you just decide 
moment by moment, and you're allowed to do that. And as you say that, I suffer from a lot of the same things still. I'm sure. I think we all do. Right. Mom, where I think there was a saying, right? They want you to work like you don't have a family, and they want you to be a mom like you don't work. Right. Which is impossible, in my opinion, to live up to that standard. What stood out to me and I think about with my kids, because again, I struggle with that the same way, is we carry that guilt of, is that uniform washed and cleaned? But will they even remember? So your son's now all adults. Right. <laughs> no. They probably don't even remember that or think twice about that. Right. No, and I, they do remember. I would think occasionally they probably remember the things that blew up. But I also know that there are a lot of things we get right, and we don't tend to focus on those. We don't look at how we're knocking it out of the park. A lot of us, and I think that's a really big cross-section of, of the you know, our our group, a lot of us are knocking it out of the park so consistently that we've we've normalized home runs. And I think that kind of sets a hard, you know, bar to meet all the time. And we think when we didn't make it once that somehow we let people down. Well, and it's interesting that you say that. So many good things you've already said here. I remember early on when we met and we talked a lot about this that you had focused me to a book that I listened to on my runs, actually listened to maybe two or three times now, Mm -hmm. where it spoke to just that, especially with women, where when you are the light, you don't realize you're the light. So talking about people who are knocking it out of the park so often, yet we normalize that. Uh, So how how do we adjust to that? Or how do we, you know, is it surrounding us with people that can help remind us is it is it tasks or things every day where we say okay what are the three things i want to celebrate today how do we how do we get beyond how did you was there a moment in time was there a story where you're like aha i need to i would say yes to all of that <laughs> yeah too many because questions it, no no i my point is is that i think those are all tools for us right i think there is um the idea of surrounding yourself with people who are your tribe and support you and celebrate with you the things you get right and help you put down the things that you're being so hard on yourself about. I know I messed something up on Friday and I was so upset that I messed it up. And then I realized that when my life was over, when I'm like, whatever, I don't know what that will be, when I'm 99 and I have a list of 20 things that I royally screwed up, I don't think it's going to make the list. And if it does, maybe I'm lucky. And it's a choice to reframe those things. And I think that Like the way we talked about friends, I think it's the books you read and the shows you watch and just how you talk to yourself. All of that feeds whether we think we're succeeding or we're messing up. And I think we probably are all really good at telling someone else who's messed up, you know, that they look, put it in perspective, you're doing great, but we don't always talk to ourselves that way. So I think paying a lot of attention to how do we talk to ourselves and realizing that one of my favorite books is The Four Agreements. And the funny thing is, I only can remember one of them. (laughs) And it's um, always do your best. But the thing I remember the most about reading that section of the book was that remember that your best is different at different times. That's what resonated when I read it. And it was the idea that who you are at nine o'clock in the morning, and who you are at midnight in the middle of a crisis, they're, they're different 
places and that you're allowed to be different, that your best can look different in those moments. I had a friend recently that she, one of her goals was to keep her husband home until he passed away. And it was many years because he had a chronic debilitating illness. And there were many times it wasn't pretty. And I was at his wake. And I said to her, I hope you know how amazing it is that you wanted to keep him home. And obviously, not everyone can. They may not have the resources to do it personally or otherwise, um, but she was able to and say, I hope you know you won. And she just looked at me for the longest moment and said, you know, it's so funny, I would not have really thought of it that way. And she said, I think I'm going to have to think about this again in a month, but I, I think you're right. And I saw her son recently, and he said that was such an incredible thing to say to her because the, in the mess of the passing away and everything that led to it, it was difficult. And she didn't realize she was winning, but she had accomplished her goal and she gave him the best she had. There was nothing else she had left to give him. And what else can we ask of ourselves, right? So I think sometimes it's also reframing what we think winning and losing look like. Right. Do you think you learned that? You mentioned being on call 24-7 and when you were a physician's assistant, do you think that's when you learned it? Or was there a, a time, a particular incident where that stuck out to you? Or is it later in life? I think I keep learning it. <laughs> to be honest, I think I learned it. There was a point when I was in college, and I was going to summer school, and I was also lifeguarding on a river in a state park in West Virginia, and a girl drowned. And the park ranger told me it was my fault because I wasn't a man, and that if I'd been a woman, I would have saved her. And the guilt I carried about that, and then having to learn to let that go and realize, like, I, I almost drowned trying to get her. That's all I had to give her. There was nothing else to give her. And how do you let go of those kinds of moments? Um, I think we learn a lot by looking at other people doing it. I Certainly, if you're a mom or a dad, you look at your kids and they beat themselves up for things and you say, why in the heck are you beating yourself up over that? We can see that so much more clearly, but we can't always see it for ourselves. Um, so maybe reflecting that back to ourselves. Um, just a number of different challenges, whether it was work or personal, where you I think one of the best things that someone did for me, I work with a coach, Denise Purdy, and one of the things she does, especially when you know you're going into that difficult time, but even if you're not, like sort of visualizing the best version of you and sitting and saying, when I'm the very best version of me, what do I know about myself? Maybe it's not all the time. Maybe it's just the highlights. What are the greatest things I know in those moments that even if it flits by for a moment, it's still the greatest version of me. And what are those truths? What do I know to be true? And then realizing you get to choose to be that person at any given moment. So even if things are tough, and you're being pulled on, and it feels like it's so incredibly difficult to the more time you spend in that vision of the best version of you, the easier it is to get there when you're in trouble what that vibration feels like and to keep pulling yourself back up when it's trying to pull you down at the situation you're like nope not going there what do I know about myself and how does this person show up even if I don't feel like it the best version of me wants me to be this person right now so how do I do that 
how do I get to that place? And the more she had me anchor in some smells and sounds and objects so that when I needed to remember, and it, it was incredible how the more often you do it, the easier it is to step into that space. And then you get to be even prouder of the person you showed up as. And it actually changes the outcome of the whole thing because you hold this higher vibration for the situation. And, and when you shift, everything else shifts around you. And I think we'll, with what you're doing today, we haven't talked a lot about the coaching that you're doing today, and we'll definitely get there. But I liked what you said about, it's just practice, right? So when we're growing up, if we are, we're on the sports field, or if we were a cheerleader, or we were a dance person, or a mountain biker, whatever it might be, right. you know, you think about the first couple times you went out to do that event, um, you're not very good nor do you necessarily expect yourself to be good at it. You know right. it's going to take practice and practice and practice. But how is it that with our own mind, we get upset at ourselves if we're not positive all the time, if right. we're not giving ourselves a break all the time? But the more we practice it, like you said, the more we'll want to go back there, the easier it will be to go back there. But also, I think that's a great idea, use some triggers that maybe you can carry around with you. Do you mm -hmm. have... One of those do. I do that you carry well, around with you. I wear a ring that I did it with, and I wear a scent that I did it with, so that it's just an easy way to call it up. I have a sound on my cell phone that reminds me, and it's funny because when my texts come in, it's that sound. So it's like this almost subconscious reminder to go back to that. I think it's great when we create things that become almost automatic because then we don't have to work at doing them anymore, thinking of pulling them out. We've just done that. That's a great idea, even on your phone, because how many times do we get right. a, a phone and we like, like, oh, I don't want to. But if you can listen to that and have just that, go back to that mindset, sit there and say, okay, I'm going to go from, I'm listening to this, this book right now that talks about judger versus mm. uh, questioner. So if we can get yeah. out of that judger mode right. and get into that questioner mode, what could be that trigger to remind us? And I like that uh, phone tone mm -hmm. that might set us there. Well, and the cool thing is if you do it enough, it's become so subconscious, you don't even have to acknowledge that you're triggering this part of yourself. Are you there? No. <laughs> no. Oh, well, I was hoping, like, maybe right. one day uh, I'll get there. Good. Yes. But that reminded me, because another way we connected was the book, The Book. Right. So there's a grip book that was released two, one year ago, two years ago. Time's flying by too fast. It was during covid I think. so, And it's owning your grit. Yes. Right. And there were 40 women who mm -hmm. contributed chapters of their stories about owning your grit. And you wrote about the uh, that story you just talked right, about the with the drowning. And But what you, which is so funny because I saw this on a TV show the other day. What's the Japanese word again? Um, Kintsuki. Kintsuki. I saw it on a, a show mm. that talked about the Japanese uh, thought or, or whatnot that when things break up, you can put them back together and they can be more beautiful, which is what you wrote about. Right. Well, kintsuki is actually a form of art. And when something like a piece of pottery breaks, they put it back together with something like platinum or gold, and it actually increases its value. And when we think about how much stronger we are when we come out of things and we've, we're much more resilient, and there's actually a term that I've been playing with and 
uh, reading about and trying to apply called anti-fragile. And anti-fragile is more than being resilient. You don't just manage difficult times. You actually look for how this is helping you and where the opportunity is in this chaos, and you seize opportunities. So there were businesses that did amazing during COVID because they were anti-fragile. They looked at something that was happening, and instead of fighting the reality, because I remember myself, I remember hearing about like school, the kids wouldn't come back after spring break and spend a good bit of time saying, wait, that's not possible. But the people who did not fight what was happening, but actually jumped into it, the quicker they did that, the more advantageous the situation was for them. And I think about how amazing it would be if we took everything that was this challenge for us, and the minute we saw it said, what, what can I do to make this work for me? Where's the opportunity in it? And run? Like, how amazing is that? I think we've both seen this multiple places where it's not happening to you, it's happening for you. So right. how is this situation happening for you? How right. is it helping you become a better version of yourself? Right. So do you think, I sometimes struggle with this because I've been through my challenges and I, looking back every time I've come out better, Can do we need challenges in our lives to be a better version of ourselves? Actually, that's the whole basis of the book Anti-Fragile, is that when you think about bodies at rest, they decay, and that a certain amount of stress creates fitness. So you think about working out, creates fitness, that um, a lot of systems that aren't pushed, if they're just allowed to sit, they decay, and that we need those things so that we keep refining and staying strong, creating new pathways. That's actually where our strength lies. And I suppose the secret is not so much letting lots of big bad things happen to you, but creating environments where you have stressors that create growth, healthy stressors that create growth so that you're more pliable when it happens. Right. Too much. Obviously. All the time. Yes. Not good for the body, right. but enough here and there with the right mindset and attack approach right. and probably the right support around you. And I also think it's the mindset about what's happening, like whether you think that this is good or not, whether how you frame things. I know that it was interesting when I took my most recent job, I knew it was a big leap into an area that I did not know nearly as much as I thought I needed to, to be successful in my mind, like you said, that you want to come out of the gate swinging, right? Like totally killing it. And I remember thinking that I was ready for this because I felt root bound. And I, I was like, I'm ready for a bigger pot. So I bought a bigger pot, right? And then all of a sudden, I'm upset because I can't feel the sides and I can't feel the bottom and I don't know what's wrong. And it actually was reframing it and realizing like, nothing's wrong just because you're in a space you've never been before and now there's all this room to grow this which is what you wanted you think something's wrong so reframing the thought of actually nothing's going wrong this is exactly what you wanted and you coach sales again we'll i'm sure throughout this get a lot deeper into that do you see that a lot all, every single day i you know it's so funny because i have people who when they hire me they they can. I mean, obviously, I can help them with sort of 
identifying their ideal client and um, how do you create a strategy around that and how do you capture it in your CRM and how do you speak that in the field so that you're having better meetings and closing more business. Sure, we do that. But I would say that probably 75% of the work I do ends up going back to what they're thinking and working with how people are thinking and what their mindset is and what belief makes them feel when they say I'm struggling, it almost always, if we trace it back far enough, is coming into where their head is. I can't ask for that business. We're friends. That's going to make someone feel awkward. All these interpretations that we have about that. Or I'm not succeeding if I didn't close every deal. Just, we see, I see it all day long. Well, and I'm sitting here thinking, because I'm in business development, so yes, 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 yes. <laughs> right. But then I'm also thinking, and in all life, all life, all yes. life, like being able to ask for help, being able to this or that. So the, I remember you told me a story one time, you were helping someone in the home care field, right? It might have been right after you did the switch to sales, and you were helping him in the area that you were just in. And if I remember right, you... There was one thing in the sales or helping people to go specifically what you're trying to sell, but you had helped him make that leap of asking more questions and what else can I help that's not in the scope of what I do, but it's in the mindset of helping and building that relationship and then breaking it out even further, which I would imagine that's what you bring to all your relationships of people that you're helping is kind of that thinking beyond what's right here in the zone. I don't know, that's a question, but not a question. So is that a key to what you do? Or is that what helped you be successful in because I think you wrote down here, you were in the top consistently in the top five in sales for the international home care company. So is that what sets you apart thinking beyond that? And is that what you coach? Yes, I, I actually coach a lot of people that when you stop selling what you sell, you will sell a lot more of what you sell. Because first of all, people want to do business with someone that they like, they know, like, and trust. That's a familiar saying. But what does that actually mean? What does it mean to know someone and like them and trust them? And it's that they don't come in with their agenda. So I think one of the, if you go back to the mindset thought, is that whoever you're sitting in front of, uh, undoubtedly, there's something that you're going to have to offer them that will be helpful. It may be what you do but it's entirely possible it's not what you do. But if you just, I I coach a lot of my salespeople to go in and pretend they're almost like reporters and they're collecting information and they're trying to understand the story and where the problems are and kind of think through what the answers might be and offering them answers. It is a slower way to build business for sure because you aren't always promoting yourself but you're planting seeds that if you plan to do what you're doing for a while, uh, it will come back a hundredfold. A lot of the referrals I got were from people I didn't help, but they sent my name to someone who needed it and said, oh, she'll talk to you. She's not going to push you to buy from her, you know, to hire her company. She's, she's going to hear what you need, and she's going to connect you with what you need. And I think it goes back to the mindset of, I... I am going to be successful as a human being, regardless of what happens this, in this meeting today, because I've already determined who I am and what I am, and I know 
what my life will look like because I'm setting my vibration to that. I'm going to almost like create that environment myself. So whether today's deal closes or not isn't the thing that will define me. And as soon as what I call being unattached to the outcome happens, that's actually the most amazing place. And I believe we know that only about 8% of what we communicate comes in the form of words. The rest of it's your tone, your body language, and the energy you bring into the room. And we all know that if we thought we were going to lose our job, we come into that meeting where we're supposed to close business a lot differently, much more urgent, pushing people more. Um, I think we um, come into interactions where if we're having, I always noticed, and I learned this the kind of by accident, that when I was doing great in selling home care, I sold so much more home care because I was very relaxed and open and I didn't need the business. But as soon as my numbers started getting lower and some of things just fluctuate naturally, it doesn't mean you forgot how to do your job, but then you have this time where your numbers are down and you're feeling threatened and like the way you show up in the meeting, everyone can feel that energy whether you're speaking it or not. So I think that clearing your energy, that's another big piece of what we talk about is before you walk into this, this meeting, clearing your energy, getting really clear about who you are and what you offer and that you, you will be fine and safe no matter what happens in this meeting. That just gives a completely different vibe in a meeting. Do you, has there ever been a time where you went into a meeting like, okay, there's no way this sale or this relationship is going to happen, but we're going to have this talk anyway. And then you went into that energy and I don't want to say they turned, but they became a client pretty quickly because of just that letting right. go, everything you just said there. Well, and it's funny, I've gone into meetings with people networking meetings where it really was with someone who was very successful, had uh, sort of checked a lot of boxes in that way. And I just was wanting to pick their brain and say, this is what I do now. Um, if you were me, like you clearly have done very well for yourself. If you were me, who would you talk to? What would you say? And they said, you should talk to me. And I remember like, the first time it happened, like, being shocked at being like knocked back in my chair, because I'm like, wait a minute, you're a $750 million company. Why? Would you say that? And they said, well, because no one's doing it like you are. Like, what do you mean? And they said, oh, well, no one's doing doing the coaching the way you do. And I'm like, okay, but why me? I'm like relatively a small fish in a pretty big pond. Your company could hire anyone in the world. And so, like I said, no one's doing it like you are. I'm like, shocking. Like if you come in just open to, hey, I'm just here to, to learn a little more I trust that you have things that you can teach me and I'm just going to listen about you and we're going to talk a little bit and just being unattached to that. It's shocking. I think that's, that pushes so many things in my body, right? Because early on in attempting to work with people or build the network, I thought I can't ask anybody to spend their time with me unless I know I have something to give them, whether it's business, a contact, who knows what else. But I also struggled with, how do I know how I can help them if I don't meet with them in the first place? So I'm sure. telling myself, don't meet with them unless you know, but I can't know unless I meet with them. So how did you do that and or get, I mean, I don't know that you ever faced that, but how did you, 
how do you do that when you reach out to somebody? Hey, you're successful. I would like to learn more. Right. Can we meet? Right. Is it that simple? Yes, it is that simple. That's what's crazy. And, and it was because I decided I just wasn't planning to ask them for anything. I just really wanted to, especially when I started this job, was still figuring out um, how to do it. Had no track record in this job of being successful. No reason to, other than just, I don't know, blind faith that I, somehow I was going to figure it out on the way down. And if I really believe if you come into that meeting just curious and you really do just want to learn and offer what you have, I've had some of the most amazing conversations that I had no idea were going to happen. And I try to trust that regardless of what happens in that meeting, somehow it's going to serve me and I'd like to serve them and I'm not going to get attached to what that looks like. So I've found sometimes it's uh, that I'm recommending a book that they say, oh my gosh, that was such an amazing book, it changed my life. It might be a business opportunity. It might be like where I get a custom suit made. <laughs> who knows? You know, it's just, or a friend who could use what they offered. It, who knows? But just trusting that the universe is delivering exactly <laughs> what you need at the time and what that person needs and just being open to it. So women or anybody out there who's looking to meet more people, build your network, because again, who knows what the universe will bring. Don't be afraid. Get beyond your fears or your, maybe what we talked about earlier, almost that perfectionistic side of it has to be the perfect meeting. I have right. to be able to give them something, that sort of thing. Get beyond that and just put yourself out there and ask. Well, it it's interesting if you study the light and shadow archetypes, there's a lot more information about that. But in particular, in the shadow archetypes, there are four victim, child, saboteur, and prostitute. And what you were talking about was the prostitute energy, because you're coming in saying, I don't have that much value, I kind of have to give myself away, why would they see me as valuable? I'm not who they are. Um, you're kind of selling yourself. And when you feel like you don't want to make someone feel awkward. You can't ask for that business because maybe you aren't as valuable as they are. That's that energy. So as soon as you feel a value question coming up, it's almost always in that energy. And the first piece is recognizing it when it shows up and then dealing with it because it's one thing to recognize it. It's another to understand your value and to make the shift that allows you to understand your value. So then you go into one of the, the highest light archetypes, which is lover. And all of this sounds, I know with some of these words, we attach a lot of meaning to them, but in terms of just loving yourself and being in the highest version of you, it's the best gift. To me, you are brought here to live out the best version of you, and that when you do, you are the greatest gift you were intended to be. So why would we not want to cultivate something that was supposed to be a gift and the higher the you developed it the bigger the gift could be to the universe nobody i always think it's interesting because self-care is such a buzz phrase right now and i think it, even for me that kind of gives me this funny feeling because it feels like luxury and spoiling and but if you said well now we're going to talk about your car and we're going to change the oil and rotate the tires and you know fix flat tires and we're going to switch out the brake fluid, whatever, no one's going to question that because it keeps the car running. 
So rather than self-care, instead of being indulgent, I think we, if we put it in the phrase of maintenance, so what if we worked on that car so that it got as fast as it could go, because that was what it was built to do, then how are you not almost obligated to do that? So much going on, because I think as a mom for so many years and a wife and whatnot, um, that was a difficult thing to, it felt selfish yes. to say that might be the best word in guilt to say I need 15 minutes or whatever the, the time allotment might be to go for a run or whatever we need. Maybe it's just a nap or a right. hide in the corner of our room all by ourselves, <laughs> whatever it might be. Whether that, I, I don't know, is it is it a female thing? Is it a mom thing? Is it, that's just because what I went through. Uh, so what is it, like you said, become aware? And then how do we break it? I think it's, I, I think it's all of those. I think that we see it, especially in women, because I think women are socialized to be serving that we, there's a lot of praise around a mother who almost bleeds to death, who gives so much of herself. I mean, we get praised as women for, oh my gosh, look at that mom. She does everything for her family. There's a lot of praise built into it, just like overworking gets praised. And people will say, well, you are more than just what you do. You are you are a being and you are worthy just for being, but we find our worth in doing. Well, that may be that may be something important for us to learn, but everything about the world reinforces the idea that if we're doers, we get a lot of rewards for that. So it's hard to fight something where there's a feedback mechanism that says, yes, keep doing it. So your family's going to keep saying it. Your job's going to keep saying it. Your, your culture's going to keep saying it. So that can be tough. The, I'd say that one of the greatest perspectives I got on this was when I was in home care, because what I would see, and even as a PA working in geriatrics, I would see a couple, and one person had an illness, and the other one was the caregiver. And the caregiver would give to the point that the the patient, so to speak, the, the sicker one was getting food, was getting sleep, doctor's appointments, maybe exercise, getting what they needed, but the the caregiver wasn't because they were too busy providing that and being alert all the time to it. And I actually said this a lot when I sold home care. I would say when I was a PA, I buried more caregivers than I did patients because the patients were getting what they needed, but the caregivers weren't. So even now, like when I sold home care, I would sit in front of a, a couple and you'd see the caregiver really burning out. And a huge piece of this was shifting the paradigm by coming in and saying, gosh, what an amazing job you've done. Look at what you've managed for all this time. You know, why do you think your daughter asked me to meet with you? And it was usually, well, she's worried about me. Well, what is it that she's worried about? Well, she's worried I'm going to get sick. I'm like, okay, well, what is your vision for how you'd like to see things play out moving forward? And she's like, well, I'd like to, for us to be able to stay home and the whole time, okay. What do you think think might get in the way of that? Well, if I get sick. I'm like, so who is the most important person in your husband's life? And they would always say, well, I am. I'm like, oh, okay, so any kind of support you get, whether it's home care or otherwise, it isn't a luxury. It's because you are so important to him 
that this will not survive, this scenario you want, and what he's counting on and you're counting on will not survive if you are not in the room. So we have to make sure you're in the room. That's a big paradigm shift from this is a luxury to this is essential to keeping my vision. So now I sit in front of business owners and they're bleeding to death and they're struggling to get help, whether it's through support or hiring other people in their on in their business. And so my question is, and they're struggling to give themselves permission to take care of themselves, exercise, sleep. And I remember one of them was literally crying and said, you know, this is going to impact me physically eventually. And I'm like, time out. It's already impacting you physically. We have evidence of that. Um, but I said, on the other hand, I'm like, so who is the most important person in this business? And it was, I am. Like, what happens to your business if you go down? This whole thing falls apart. Okay, so taking care of you is critical to the success of your business. I think it's about shifting the paradigm because we don't realize that it's not self-care. This is mandatory maintenance to keep the car moving. And everyone can imagine that scenario, but they have a hard time applying it to themselves. So that's a really long way of putting it, but I think it's a paradigm shift in how we define doing things that we need to for ourselves. I think it's powerful what you said and how you said it. So asking, because if you came in and said, Carrie, you're doing too much over here. You don't look good. You're uh, you need to do this. What's your response most likely going to be? Well, there's going to be a lot of resistance around that. Yes, but how you did it, whether it's in sales or life or whatever it might be, you asked a series of questions to get them to think through the process and visualize. Oh, if I don't do this, this happens. If I don't, oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. And and it's not about you getting to where you want to get. It's getting them to yes. where they really sh- need to get, or at least get to that point of thinking right. at a much deeper level than being resistant right off the bat. Well, I, I think that this is one of my top favorite things to speak on, and I do a lot of presentations, and this is my favorite one, is helping people help themselves, because we have some very deeply programmed things that we reject with. It's things like price, um, cost of change, lack of vision, fear of failure, loss of identity, loss of control, to name a few of them. And what I have found is if I just ask questions, so when I do the presentation, there's usually a question to sort of unearth whether this is showing up. Because when people are pushing back on you, you almost always know what you have to offer them would be helpful if you come in clean and you're like, look, I'm just listening for if there's something that I might be able to help with in any way. You usually know if what they need is you. But they will say no for a lot of different reasons. And there are questions to ask that sort of work through their priorities. So I don't know if you have time for a story around that. But there was this guy who called me and said, you know, this case manager at the hospital had given him my name and said he should call me about his mother, but he thought it was a bad idea. And I said, okay, well, thanks so much for calling. Did you want to tell me a little bit about your mother? 
And he said, well, she's in skilled nursing, and she was just diagnosed with stage 4 COPD, and she was just put on hospice, and she wanted to come back home to where his father was living in the home. And I said, well, you, I said, I'm sorry to hear that. That's a lot for you to deal with. You said something really interesting. You said, this is a really bad idea. Can you tell me more about that? And he said, well, she has everything she needs where she is. And I said, well, what does that look like? And he went through all the things they do for her. And I said, well, okay, so we do that every day. So I'm not worried about that piece. What else bothers you about this? And he said, well, this would cost about twice as much as where she is now. And I said, well, money is important. I've never sat in front of a family that money was not important. If it's twice as expensive, why would you consider doing it? You called, so it means you're considering doing it. Why would you do that? And he said, because she's my mother and I'm her son. And I said, well, I think I know what that means, but do you mind telling me what that means to you so that I'm clear? And he said, I am my mother's only child and she is dying and she has asked me to bring her home. And I said, would you like to keep talking then? And he said, yes, can we meet tomorrow? And we met the next day and brought her home a week later, and she died a month and a half later. And I don't feel like I sold him anything. I just asked him questions about, here's what you're afraid of. Why are you afraid of that? What would make it worth it for you? What's what's more important than that? Is there anything? And identifying, because a lot of times people just have all these fears, and they don't understand their priorities and how getting beyond the fear actually meets their priorities. And that's how they can claim the priority. So I think the questions help people understand their priorities and get past their fears. Right. Because it seems in those situations, so many different, I just imagine walls shooting up right in front of you, right. trying to turn and you don't know where to go. And that line of questioning, what you did there and what you teach in sales coaching is how do you get those people in those situations to either, okay, this wall's in front of you, let's try something different. What if we walk around the wall? <laughs> Trying to see right. a different perspective that they're just, they're too clouded, uh, right. too clogged up, they can't see. Well, it. and it's like, tell me about the wall. Why does the wall exist? Is there anything more important than, than the wall? Would you like to move the wall? <laughs> like that, it's really an invitation to to work through that thought process, that's all. And you're just giving them permission to talk it out loud with you. And I think that's my favorite thing, because I have had people where when you had that meeting, there was nothing more important in the wall than the wall. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Absolutely. How can I help you find the thing that doesn't have that wall for you? I've heard you go through similar situations several times, uh, whether it's by the pool, wherever, and I'm always amazed at how fluid and smooth you are oh gosh to go through those questions how did you get there is it practice how did you figure this all out you know it's funny i was really lucky to go through two years of sandler training but it was and it makes sense because i'm a pa who started selling and it was like well what do i know about sales really nothing other than selling my mother's ham hangers to the neighborhood when i was a kid but it was interesting because they taught me to ask a lot of questions, and you had a lot of permission to be curious about it. And I remember them saying when I came in, wow, you're a natural. And I said, no, actually, I'm a PA. 
I've spent my career walking into rooms saying, tell me what hurts. Tell me about the pain. Where does it come from? What else do you notice? What have you tried? What's worked? Here's what I think is going on. Here are my suggestions. It's up to you to choose. I actually am doing the same job I did then. And I think the greatest permission that a business owner or someone, particularly a business owner who has salespeople, is to give them permission to not gun for the sale every time. Because the energy is completely different, the trust they build is completely different, the integrity, it's, I mean, it's kind of the whole basis of the the book, Integrity Selling, is just doing the right thing. Um, it sounds really obvious, but people are selling books, teaching it, but I'm not sure everybody who's in business feels patient enough to allow their people to do it that way. But if you really are curious and you do have a great product, you should be able to find your people. And if you, so if you're looking for a job, find a company that has built that culture that can allow you to become that long-term relationship, better business developer. If you own a company, then build, find ways if you can to build that culture where it's about doing the right thing versus those numbers and sell transactions. Right, it's relationship versus transactional, exactly. I think that it's interesting. There's a window company that I've been in relationship with, and they say, we don't sell windows. We, we're a service company. We help them with their fuel bills. We help them with the beauty of their home, the comfort of their home, and um, in getting what they want. We're a service company, and I think that's a very smart perspective because – I don't think there are many things that we're purely transactional about. I mean, maybe it's the bobblehead, but nobody really wants the bobblehead that breaks. So we want a relationship with a company who would replace it if it did. So I think it always comes down, especially if what you do is something that you will want to continue doing. You, It needs to be relationship-based. So thinking of it at a deeper level, I've never thought about Windows that way. Right. But that makes a lot of sense because, you know, if we're replacing windows, it's like you said, it's the heating, the air. It might be the the look of it, too. Um, could also be the care of dealing with old windows. So taking a step back, you mentioned paradigm shift, but I think that shift in what we're really giving people. Well, and I think that a lot of times we fall into a trap of coming into a room when someone says, what do you do? And we list out a title, we list out a company, we list out some features and benefits of the company. And the reality is, is one, many people in your world don't understand your area. So you've given them a lot of techie words that they may not understand. And the other is that they can't see themselves or the people they know in what you said. So I always encourage people, if you're going to come in and, and say what you do, you of course, you say your name, say who you work for, maybe your title, and then tell them about the last person you helped and what you did, like what what they what kind of company they were, what their problem was, what you did to help them, not how, but what you did to help them, and then the impact it had on the company. And everyone can see that. So there's an IT company that I was working with, and, and the initial phrases were things like, we solve problems, we're solution-oriented, we take away the pain points with IT, and I was it's like, I can't see that. In my mind, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know when I come across your person what they're complaining about. 
so I can recognize when to send them to you or if it's me. So she changed the story when I said, who's the last company you helped? She said, oh, well, they had us come in to do a free assessment. And they led me back to the closet where all the equipment was. And there were 10 servers there. And when we did the assessment, they actually only needed five. And we were able to cut their bill by over half and make their system run a lot more smoothly. Okay, I know what that looks like. I know whose person, you know, who needs you if they say, yeah, that it was moving slowly and pay, overpaying and really didn't understand their system. Tell a story because then people recognize your person. And ideally, they also recognize themselves. I feel like I'm having this aha moment in this meeting right here because I struggle with that, right? What do you do? Well, I'm a financial planner. What the heck does that mean? You know, that could mean all sorts of sins. So sometimes it's like, oh, well, I'm a CPA who's a financial planner. At least people recognize CPA, but then they also uh, expect it to be a boring conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you could Not never all be of boring. Us CPAs you are, could never be boring, Cynthia. <laughs> um, so I know people have told me before, pick a story, tell that story. I don't know why it hasn't really resonated with me before this, but I think of two recent instances where we saved a client a lot of money on their taxes, caught an error on the, the return, the preparer uh, fixed it, and probably in one instance got $25,000 back that they would have, because of the nature, and this is getting too technical, so I'm going to try to remind myself, not everybody likes this as much as I do. <laughs> But they would have paid that money again in the future because Ooh. of where it was located and rolled over and all those sorts of things. So we saved them 25000 So if I can come into a conversation and say, I'm yeah, also, we're going to talk after this again. <laughs> sure. You know, I'm a financial planner. We, we look at everything. One of the one of the last instances was a client who blah, 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 yes. blah, and go into those details. Yes. And what's really neat is if you think about what you do and the different either industries you help or the different kinds of clients or maybe the different services you offer, and you think of a great story that's affiliated with each of them, a lot of us go into networking situations where it's a monthly meeting or whatever, tell a different story each time that highlights a different part of, you know, different industry you help or a different service that you offer so that people start seeing you much more fully instead of kind of the canned 30-second, here's what I do. Each stories, and I think we like stories. We like seeing this. We like it. It's much more engaging to hear a story and you start picturing the person and what they're doing. And I like when she told me about walking back to the closet and opening the door, I, I was seeing the whole thing. Whereas if we just say, well, we, we offer, you know, solutions for people who have pain around their IT and it, that I can't see anything. So I think that if you create little stories, vignettes that you get to share, you get people in your brain seeing your world. Sorry to make this about me. Because that was my challenge recently with how do I explain to people that we look at their insurance, their estate plan, we put the whole puzzle together. Tell them a story about each one. Right. Or, you know, when we meet with a client, we ask them about all these things. And if they don't ask us, why are you asking me that? Like, no one's ever asked me that before. And we try to put so getting not telling people you're getting to the pain of these things, but telling a story yes. that tells them what you do. 
Yes, I don't. I think you should not tell people what you do. You should show them what you do. And you show them with your stories. You show them with your presentations. You show them with the ways that you help them. You don't have to tell them anything. Speaking of stories, because stories are important, uh, you mentioned selling hangers as a kid. (laughs) So it sounds like, when you first said that, I thought, don't forget to go back to the story because this sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like you were a salesperson from an early age. Uh, Yes, I I never thought I was. But when I thought back later, I'm like, yeah, I think I kind of was because I remember selling lots of things, Girl Scout cookies and everything. But the thing I remember first was taking hangers out of my mother's closet and and various closets in the house, selling them to the neighbors. And think about how nice our neighbors were. Come on, they're buying hangers from this, like, probably seven- or eight-year-old kid, right? I was going to ask. How cute is that, right? Yeah, how old? So how did that even come up? You're like, wow, my mom's all... (laughs) <laughs> Always talking about needing to find hangers, or she has so many hangers. Like, how did I have no Carrie, I little Carrie, know. say, you know what? I'm going to go around I the know. neighborhood and and hawk off some. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I I I can only imagine what was going through that like eight year old brain. I couldn't even begin to tell you. But also imagine the uh, the guts to say, yeah, I'm going to do this, and you know what? They're probably going to want this from right. me. You know that if I had to say that I had one inbred characteristic that has given me the most success and the most grief in my life is that it never occurs to me this is a bad idea you know like how preposterous I'm like yeah this sounds like a good idea and I've been lucky enough most of them work out so what's the thinking about that part of the story what's the one that really sticks out to you the most successful one that I shouldn't have done that but I did and it worked out oh gosh I might have to come back to that because that feels like I'm going to have to sort through a few things. Um, and maybe it's still to be played out. True. And, because your true. position uh, is two years? How long has it been? About a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. Getting close to two years. Right. Uh, you already seem so good at it that it oh, seems Oh, well, longer. thanks. <laughs> As everybody's going to be able to tell from this uh listening and watching this podcast how well, good you thanks. are at those questions it's super fun i think it's probably the thing that for me it's if you looked at the choice that maybe didn't make sense to anyone else but you chose to do it anyway it is the thing in you that when you do it it feels so easy it's very exciting it lights you up when you're done doing it you're like more charged than you were before you started just keep following that just pay attention every day to man what gets me like super excited and happy and energized and that's that's the thread to follow and just follow it wherever that goes so a question when you spoke because one of the things that stood out to me or maybe uh jarred me jolted me a little bit when you say it's easy because a lot of success isn't easy what do you mean by that I think that, well, no, there's, I think success can be simple because it is take the thing that feels easy to you and become incredibly, incredibly good at it. So no one could ever, I'm trying to remember what quote I heard recently that said, um, if you are the best at what you do, no one cares how old you are, what your race is, what your gender is, nothing, if you're the best at what you do. And I think that, you know, there's, sort of looking at the 
masculine energy and feminine energy that all of us have and that our feminine energy is that creativity. Like what is amazing that we do, it just flows. You can feel the flow when you're in it. It's just such a flow and you're just really excited. And when you think through your day and you had a list of the whatever, 15 things you did, everything from the phone call to set up the you know, exterminator, I don't know, all the way to like, your, whether it's for me, it'd be coaching, that when you, you like, one of the best things I heard in a book by Jim Dethmer and Diana Chapman is the uh, 15, I think it's the 15 commitments of conscious leadership. And one of them is to look at what you do, make a list of everything you do in a day, and the things you hate that you'd rather die than have to do every day, but you have to, you put a down arrow. And on the things that you're like, it's okay, I don't really like doing it, but I'm adequate at it, you do a flat line. And then the things you like doing that are pretty easy, you put an up arrow, but the things you love to do that you just, man, you can't wait for that part of the day, you do two up arrows, and he, they, he narrates it, Jim narrates it, and he says, the fir- your first job is to get rid of all the down arrows and the flat lines in your life and hire it out, do whatever you have to do, because your best purpose is living in those ups. Instead, in a perfect world, you get to where all you do is the two arrows up. But I think that's kind of what I'm speaking to in terms of easy. But then if you look at that, if that's the feminine piece, which is the creativity, and like if you describe it, you can think of it as like if you look at a river, the feminine is the water, but the masculine are are the banks. And so masculine is what are the behaviors that I need to do that allow me to do what I do the best? Is it the training? Is it the tracking? Is it the getting up early? Whatever, that's your masculine. And so it's the banks that hold the river, right? And you need both. And so the easy is the river. The structure, the the discipline is the is are the banks. That makes sense to me. I think like you said, when you go back to your core, what we talked about earlier, what makes you happy when you're your best version? Who is that? What are you doing? And that's kind of the easy because your mind and your body's going to want to go to that anyway. So I think of my husband and me, very similar, but very different. I love, give me a tax return, give me uh, investments, and I want to put that whole puzzle together, how the numbers come together. I can be creative in it, but only so much tell me to write a creative story out of nothing and make it interesting for many, many people. I mean, I will stay as far away from that as possible, but he would be the flip, right? He could definitely do what I love to do, but his flow and his easy would be write that story. Not that it would be just easy because we have three kids, we have a lot going on, we're both building businesses. That's... That's where I wanted to get with my question. And I think maybe summarizing, if I've summarized that, find your easy, what's natural to you. You're going to have to work. Yeah. And there, there's going to be hard parts to it, the masculine side, the structure. You got to work at it every day. But the easy is kind of getting back to your flow and what makes you happy. Yes. Yeah. And I think back to all these successful people in life, right, who tell their stories of early on in my career, like Alanis Morissette, the documentary, they made her be this one more poppy singer. And she had an album before, younger, as that version. And then when she said, you know what, I'm going to do it my way, I'm going to write my songs. Mm-hmm. I forget all these stats all the time, but maybe the biggest selling album in a year or whatever those stats right. were, or her or Lady Gaga or Oprah or people who tried to tell that person to be somebody else 
they, I mean, it was hard. I'm sure all of them would tell you it was so hard to be successful, but they couldn't have gotten where they were if they didn't find what you called their easy, what was natural, who they really were. Well, and then I think that part of the reason that we don't do that is because we're afraid that if we stick to that, then we're going to miss out on people. You're not going to sell as many albums. You're not going to have as much business if you don't make yourself more generic. But the problem is you kind of, people get confused when they're around you because they don't really understand you because they can't lock on to, if you're trying to serve everyone, you don't have a sense of who you, what you do well, who you serve. There isn't an, there's not a story. There are too many stories maybe. And it's Kyle Cease is um, a transformational coach. He has an amazing podcast too. And his, a lot of it, like I remember him saying, show your friends your heart. And if they run, they are not your friends. And what if we did that, not just with our friends, but with like the idea of what we do in business, like show who you are and you will attract the people that you're meant to be in relationship with one way or another. And that not showing your heart, you end up not really being a, a true version of yourself. You're not really selling the the authentic part of the gift that you are. I think others would be confused around you because yes. you're confused yes. about you. Exactly. It's That's what I mean, why they can't see themselves in you because you've given such a vague, iffy picture that they're like, I don't really get what they do. And it's because they don't, the person doesn't get what they do. I would say that's probably been one of the biggest breakthroughs in my life in the past few years is being less worried about I don't know, giving compliments, being happy, smiling all the time. And it's not all the time. Like we said, it takes practice. You're not always there. But letting go of what other people might think if I post positive things or things I've learned. We talk about some of these books on Facebook or wherever. And once I let that go and said, if, if it meant something to me, maybe it'll mean something else. And if it triggers people, it's going to trigger the right people in my life, trigger right. positively. Right. And for those who don't, we weren't, we're no longer serving each other in the space that we are in our lives. And that's okay. Well, and I don't know that we need to believe that we were meant to serve everybody. So there are people we're meant to interact with and people we aren't. It's okay. It doesn't mean something went wrong if there's not that resonance there. But I, you know, one of the things I really enjoy are your videos on Facebook um, <laughs> and your running videos and you have great messages. And the thing is, is I know that you could have said, is this boastful? Is this, would, is it too egotistical for me to put these videos out here? Am I assuming that I have something to offer someone? And that's ridiculous. You will attract the people you're meant to attract, the people who needed your message. And sometimes we avoid it because we are afraid of getting criticism. So, what would that mean for us? What somebody's going to say, aren't those videos silly? Well, that's actually more about them than it is about you. Somehow your videos triggering them and they should get really curious about why, what belief do they have inside themselves? And it may be just that people aren't supposed to promote themselves. Or if somebody's doing that, they're more successful than me, so I should feel threatened by that. But it always comes from a belief inside of us when we get triggered. So if someone's being triggered by you, that's their work. Just do your thing. If it feels like, again, if this is a thing where you're like, I can't wait to do take my run and do a video as I do it, and I just love talking about this, then you're in your up arrows. And you just keep doing it, and you'll pull your tribe in. 
that I mean, it's amazing you said that because those videos, I don't know, somewhat silly, but I guess to be real, it's I've learned something and I want to share it. And yeah, I might it might be freezing cold. I have no makeup on. My hair looks crap. I've got snot running down my nose in the winter, but I wanted it to be real mm-hmm. and to share something. And I don't do it often. So you and one other person have said, no, we love those. And I just think I'm so unpracticed. I retake it twice, but now maybe I'll do it more. Maybe I'll do it more. Well, but and what I love is it speaks to what you value, which is being real and authentic. And the people that you will draw to you will be real and authentic. And that isn't that if that's what you value, isn't it amazing that you'd pull people into your life like that? And Denise, my coach, likes to say, pay attention to who you're pulling into your life because it's it's for better or worse, it's the noise that you have going on. It's what you're putting out there. So if you're pulling in amazing, real, authentic people, that means you're being really true to your values and your message is really clean and clear. So keep doing it. <laughs> wow. I wasn't expecting to take away. I mean, I was, but I wasn't. Uh, you've had so much information, both personally that was helpful, but also, I think, abroad of life, work, business, etc. So somebody's, I know somebody's going to hear this or watch it and say, what she said there, or her message is exactly what I need. So how do people find you? And oh, where? gosh, thank you. I appreciate it. They can always go um, to LinkedIn to Carrie Burgraff, and it has my credentialing. So it so it's MSPAC CMC. So if there are a lot of initials afterward, just because of my master's as a PA, and I'm certified as a geriatric care manager. So that um, if you look at for C-A-R-R-I-E, and then Burgraff is B-U-R-G-G-R-A-F. There aren't a whole lot of those. But to LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook. Um, You can also look up the business I work for, Wide Awake Business. Um, You can find me that way. And I don't know, they can always reach out. You can find email, phone numbers that way to reach out to you. Right. Perfect. I'm glad you you spelled your last name, too, because I was going to jump in. I was thinking, geez, two R's, so that's perfect. Well, and I believe in, like, even if someone said, I don't know that, like, this isn't about, oh, call me because you necessarily want to work together. That's not how that works. If we haven't talked about anything else on this, it's one thing that we have talked about. It's like, look, if it just feels like it resonates, maybe we should meet just because it resonates. Explore and see if it should go any further. And uh, knowing you, you're always willing to offer help or bounce ideas and so absolutely that's what you're here for again like i said don't tell people what you do show them what you do right and you just did a lot today so thank you thank you for coming and filling us up with all uh good stories and tidbits and information i know i'm going to take something away from this and i'm sure others will too thanks my privilege thank you gary take care hon this concludes another episode of the she lift project podcast to hear more episodes of the show subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more about our mission of helping women reach higher levels of success, visit sheliftproject.com and sign up to receive the latest news, ebooks, videos, and more.